The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, trouble in tech land. The NASDAQ failing to recover any of yesterday's losses. And one top technician says get ready for more downside ahead. What he is seeing in the charts. Plus, game on. Netflix shares rallying as the company makes a big move into video games. We'll break down the details. And later, options traders rolling the dice on one casino name today, why they see a breakout building. We'll bring you the name. We start off with the one stock that is screaming, just screaming, that inflation may not be so transitory. Dollar Tree announcing price hikes today. The discount retailer will start selling products at $1.25 and $1.50 at many of its stores. The price increases come as the company grapples with supply chain constraints, a tight labor market, and, of course, rising costs. So did Dollar Tree just sound the alarm that inflation is here to stay and that the consumer will ultimately pay the price? Guy. Well, you know, I mean, that's the rhetorical question of all time when you ask me. Of course, they're sounding an alarm. I mean, listen, Dollar Tree, it's two names. Well, you're not going there to buy Sequoia, so it's the dollar in the name clearly that's catching your attention. It's like going to McDonald's and going for a Big Mac, and they say, we don't have any Big Macs, but we have filet of fish That's not why you're going to McDonald's. And quite frankly, you're not going for Dollar Tree for them to tell you, oh, by the way, we're raising all of our prices. In fairness, they did this a couple of months ago. But this speaks to exactly of all the things we've been talking about seemingly for months now. So, yes, they've sounded the alarm. But a lot of people are as well. I just watched Jeremy Siegel, who's bullish about everything, voicing concerns about the exact things we're talking about now. And I think Jerome Powell who I think used the word frustrating to describe the inflation that he'd been longing for, is also starting to feel it. I mean, if it's frustrating to him, imagine what it means for a lot of the corporations actually dealing with it on a daily basis. Yes, to be fair, they raised prices a while ago. We did hear in their last earnings call about this stray container ship that had to get turned around because of a single case of of COVID on on board. And that led to a two month delay. So they have been grappling with this for quite some time. But to actually announce officially, Tim, that prices are going to go up to a buck twenty five, a buck fifty, that that sort of. That's per- I don't want to say permanent because I could always roll it back, but it's more permanent than just sort of increasing prices and hoping that they'll be able to pull that back. Yeah, well, I mean, forget breaking the buck on the mutual funds and what that meant for mutual fund investors. I mean, this is my kids are crying in their rooms because on a Saturday afternoon, there's no greater uh, economic efficiency for me handing them five bucks to walk around Dollar Tree and find as many Halloween decorations as they can uh, and come on back. And, and look, this is great for investors in Dollar Tree, though. So, you know, you talk about Dollar Tree Plus, 
this is maybe the vehicle that for investors is this perfect you know, hybrid of, of where uh, the SKUs and the average price are still going to be you know, a buck 50 somewhere in the future. But there's 340 Dollar Tree Plus stores now. They claim they're going to be at $2,000 Dollar Tree Plus stores by the end of 2024. So this is a change the company's been looking at for a long time. Let's be clear about this. But Back in August, as you noted, they gave a 8% or so downgrade to you know, full year guide. And they talked about where you had these ocean carriers that were, you know, the commitments which were once 85% of, of uh, where it was coming in. They're now expecting it to be about 60%. And this is a case where really they, they are concerned about both inflation. And it's not just inflation in terms of uh, where we are seeing natural input costs, but obviously on the labor side, too. They have to change their model here a bit as much as a consumer. Uh, I hate this. I, I really do. Yeah. And, and your kids do, too. I love dollar stores, by the way. <laughs> yeah. No better joy than going into a dollar store and yep. actually picking things up for a single U.S. dollar. So, Grasso, obviously the stock shareholders really like it in addition to increasing prices, which gives them a little bit more leeway in terms of their margins. Um, and it also enables them to diversify their products, according to what they say. Um, but they also increase their share repurchase program, which is another plus. Yeah, but doesn't this isn't it more of a shift? First of all, I think it has more to do, as you said, with the supply chain versus anything else. And as Tim brought up, with the labor market, you can't get any service uh, industry people to, to uh, be in a restaurant, to be in a bar, to be in a hotel. So this makes perfect sense to me. The bigger question, how did they keep prices at a dollar for as long as they did? Isn't that more concerning? Isn't it more concerning that there was absolutely zero sign of inflation or proof of inflation. I think that this is a perfect storm for these dollar stores. It allows you to raise prices fi finally in, in a lot of these names. But when you look at a 10-year that is still around a percent and a half, I, I think that sounding the alarm bell on inflation never turning back is probably premature. Where are all these things made? China. What, what, this is the most obvious thing to see this sort of transitory, yes, that word, transitory inflation, if you will. So I'm not, I'm not overwhelmingly concerned about Dollar Tree. Karen, are we making too much of this headline of Dollar Tree raising their prices? Is this, as Steve had mentioned, just an opportunity for the dollar stores, but not necessarily emblematic of a bigger, longer inflation picture? Well, that wouldn't be like us to make too much of a headline like this, would it? No. But I think that, I mean, the question is, to me, uh, does Dollar Tree have pricing power? And I think there's probably already things there that are more than a dollar. And if they are going to raise things a buck 25, a buck 50, the question is, can they, so that, that's, if that's them trying to keep up with their costs, are their costs less than that increase? Are they less than the 25 or 50 percent if they are? less, then that should be bigger margins for Dollar Tree. So I, what I also wonder, though, is will they be able to get enough product? That, you would think that that's the kind of stuff that, you know, they talked about this uh, before this, having cargo issues. I don't know if that persists or not. So I sort of think this is good for them. Obviously, the stock thinks it's good for them. They have enough money to buy back stock and not lower prices. That's sort of, or not keep prices firm. 
So I don't know. I think things are shaping up well for Dollar Tree. Good for them. Yeah, I think um, Karen hit it on a good point in terms of the consumer, and I think that's a key here to all of these sort of infl- inflationary pressures, and that is how much of this gets pushed through to the consumer. Are companies just eating the costs um, as evidenced by thinner margins? I mean, Dollar Tree is in a position in a lot of these dollar stores. The margins were already so razor thin that it would have been very hard for them to do that. But do the companies actually have that pricing power? And that's another key aspect, the, the other part of the equation to this whole inflation picture, Tim. Look, I, I think Dollar Tree management, first of all, Karen rec- identified maybe the issue with merchants and, and sourcing. Like, I think it gives them so much greater merchant flexibility. I think it gives them a much wider consumer base. And most importantly, really where you're going with this in terms of pricing power, um, ultimately in terms of earnings power, I don't think there's one analyst on Wall Street that's priced any of this into their Dollar Tree model. So um, some of these companies, again, Dollar Tree of yesteryear or even of today before tomorrow, um, transportation as a percentage of cost of goods sold, very large to begin with. So, yeah, I I think um, I think they have some room. I think they're going to have a broader customer base. Um, Maybe the the, the bottom end is going to struggle and push back. But I think they're going to bring more people under the tent. And I think that's good for them. Again, I don't love it as a consumer. My kids are going to hate it. They're going to get one fewer Halloween decoration. But it's, it's still where I think this company needs to go. Even less if they go to the buck 50. Um, Guy, you know, I know that you can check your ledger and your records. I think this is probably the first time in Fast Money history we actually led with Dollar Tree. But obviously it, it, we picked this story because <laughs> of the broader um, implications. Um, and part of that is whether or not, you know, in six months' time, whenever these supply chain issues get ironed out and there are no container ships stranded out in the ocean, is Dollar Tree going to put out a press release saying, hey, good news, everybody, we're going back to a buck, or price is going to stick at $1.25? What struck me today, and I know you saw this guy, was our good friend Peter Bookvar, Bleakley Advisors, tweeted this, that Bank of, uh, Bank of England governor said today, transitory doesn't have a fixed time point, which I thought was <laughs> odd. Yeah, it reminded me of an Eddie Murphy uh, routine. I think it was from Raw. I won't tell you the two things that he said were permanent, but, you know, nothing is permanent. So when they say transitory, I mean, of course there's an end at some point, but it's preposterous when you start hearing these things and the fact that that official said that. I mean, rational people just have to be screaming like me. You get under, I mean, I find myself, you know, you want to get into a pool, so you scream underwater and nobody hears you, but you get it. I mean, it's maddening to me. In terms of Dollar Tree, just to answer your question, it would be a brilliant, not smart, a brilliant marketing ploy if the reason they did this is because they know six months from now they'll come out Remember, mm. I think it was Mr. Mom, Schooner Tuner, you know, we're, we're lowering the price for you. If they came out with their little Schooner Tuner thing and said, guess what? It was transitory and we're lowering our prices. That would be a home run, except it ain't going to happen. This is, to me, permanent. And it's just the world we live in right now. I'm not sure 80 percent of the audience knows what you're referring to, but I get your point. No, that's <laughs> false, Mel. I will tell you the Mr. Mom fans out there are numerous. They know about Schooner Tuna. Okay. And the little schooner tuner flag. Tim, you're raising your hand. You have Can a I just here? add one thing? No. Uh, go ahead, Karen. I, I have nothing to add other than I'm a oh, huge so, fan and uh, 220, 221, whatever it takes. Go ahead. All right, Karen. All right, no, I was just going to say I know your kids, Tim. They're no dummies. They're passing this on to you. So they're going to, you know, you got to give them 625 to 750. That's what's happening. 
I hope they are listening right now. (laughs) All right, let's talk more about what this all means for the consumer. With, by the way, just 87 days to go until Christmas. Joining us now is former Toys R Us CEO Gerald Storch of Storch Advisors. Gerald, great to have you with us. Um, so, Jerry, you think the consumer strength, that, that's going to trump all. It's going to trump price increases. It's going to trump inventory issues, all of that. Absolutely. All these pressures are real. Staffing shortages, inflation, logistics, whatever. They're all real, but the consumer is stronger than all of them put together. We've been seeing huge increases in consumer spending when you look at a two-year basis versus pre-pandemic 2019. And I think it's just going to continue on and on well into the fall, certainly through Christmas. This is a wonderful time to be a retailer. I don't care if it's Dollar Tree or Walmart. And the reason is because you are going to pass these price increases on. And you're going to see your top line rise faster than your costs are going to rise. Why? Some of your costs are certainly going up, like labor costs, but your fixed costs are fixed. Things like rent. A lot of the rent in a lot of these stores, they're on a five-year, 10-year uh, you know, accelerator, that kind of thing. Or some of the stores are owned. A lot of them are owned by people. And so they have fixed costs for occupancy, rising prices. The, the, the arbitrage is tremendous. They're going to make a lot of money across the board. That's what's going to happen. There will be shortages. You want to buy the right toy, you better get it fast because they're going to be out of stock soon. But most things are going to be available and most are going to sell. Scarcity is good. How do we think about it in the, in, through the lens of, say, a Nike, Jerry? And I'm not asking you to opine about Nike per se. Um, in terms of their, their issues with supply, a lot of their factories are, in fact, shut down because they operate in Southeast Asia. Um, but yet they are able probably to not promote as much as they might have to, or, or maybe they, you know, their levels of promotion were fairly low to begin with. How do we think about so, that sort of offset to not so having the inventory? Great question. Two parts of that. It, it doesn't mean that every branded vendor is going to do well, so it, depending upon what they have available. And Nike said they're going to have problems and growth is going to slow because of these supply chain issues in Vietnam in particular. So some of these uh, branded vendors are going to have issues. So and some of them are going to do fine. I'm talking about retailers. You know, if they don't sell Nike, they're going to sell another shoe. The reality is Christmas stockings aren't going to be empty. They're going to have something in them. So retailers are different from specific vendors who may have their own issues. Now, you also mentioned margin, which is the second part to your question. Those are just going to keep expanding. We've already seen significant margin expansion, especially among the troubled apparel and department store sector. We haven't seen that in many, many years. Where We're basically, again, because of shortages, they haven't had to discount as much, and their margins have been going up. I believe that's going to continue throughout the fall. We'll see that the holiday period. I remember one of the things, one of the old saws and retelling old stories is that your most profitable hours are on Christmas Eve in the daytime when, when the, all the husbands come in to buy their wives' presents <laughs> and you're out of stock on a lot of things and they're absolutely desperate, they'll buy anything and they'll pay anything for it. It may not be what she wanted, but, you know, they've got to come home with a present. And they do. And your margin is huge and your sales per hour are actually biggest then, even bigger than they are on Black Friday. So think about it this way. Each of the days between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're kind of like Christmas Eve day. You better go out and shop if you want to buy what you want. And margin's going to expand significantly. Hey, Jerry, how do you see this playing out? Do you see workarounds as far as the supply chain? Do you see sourcing move away from China and to different countries? And then the other question is, for Christmas, do you see the return of brick and mortar and and them being a bigger piece of the pie versus digital online? 
Okay, again, two great questions. First of all, uh, I've been saying for several years, this began back with, a, you know, sort of the, the Trump ta uh, tariffs on China, that be management malpractice not to diversify sourcing away from China. So re everyone's been working hard to do that. And that's one of the things you remember, Nike's problems are in Vietnam almost more than China right now. So, you know, uh, one of the things that, that everyone's been doing is trying to get multiple sources of supply. That's only going to continue. By the way, it's really been the pattern for decades where, where sourcing tends to chase low costs. And China isn't necessarily the lowest cost to manufacture anything anymore. So we all expect India to be more significant than it's been in the past. Uh, there are other countries that are coming up in Latin America and North Africa. Depending upon the product, uh, you know, it'll be manufactured in multiple places. That's capitalism. It works. It will diversify, uh, as you know. So I have, you know, absolutely no, no doubt uh, that's going to occur. I'm sorry. What was the second part of your question? I forgot. Brick and mortar. Do you see that becoming oh, a oh, larger and mortar. share? Yes. As well, last year, yeah, last year we got hit with the second wave of the virus. You may recall there were a lot of lockdowns in some key states like California. You know, that could happen again with Delta. It's not what I'm seeing. The numbers I monitor very closely. I'm sure you do too. We're seeing it come down, uh, and so we have to watch the Northeast. In California, for what happens over Christmas time, when people start going back inside a little more, but we don't have a big uptick uh, due to a Delta variant. The bricks and mortar will definitely be huge. We had a very muted Christmas last year in bricks and mortar retailing due to the due to the to the virus. I don't expect that this year. Again, you know, it's not out of anyone's control, so we're going to have it's out of everyone's control. Let's see what happens. But I do expect bricks and mortar to be a lot stronger. Meanwhile, one of the most enthusiastic or exciting things that we've seen is that uh, you know about half of the supercharged internet growth that we saw during the pandemic has stuck. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing big increases you know, of uh, all kinds of products purchased on the internet, including groceries, where you kind of wonder, would everyone ever, you know, would they go back to grocery stores, or they still shop online? We're seeing big increases there too. So I think, well, think e-commerce got accelerated by a year or two, but having said that, this would be a huge bricks and mortar Christmas, which by the way is why I keep saying, think, keep in mind, it's hard to do, but go back to 2019, transport yourself back. Who were winning back then? Those are the people that are going to win when you come out of this. It's not like the world changed that profoundly. That's why I like people like a TJ Maxx, for example, TJ X I've been talking about lately. Why? Because they're a fantastic retailer, almost entirely dependent on bricks and mortar, though it really doesn't work online to have that kind of a treasure hunt. So when people go back to the stores, they're just going to take off like a rocket ship. Uh, mm -hmm. Everyone's talking about Dollar Tree today. Uh, I heard you talk about a lot. But look at Dollar General. They're barely up this year. You know, so what you have to look for is the stocks that are up 20, 30 percent year to date. Dollar General, TJ Maxx, Walmart. Barely up this year, and Amazon themselves. I think those are those are, are stocks with still room to run because mm -hmm. all votes are going to rise for the Christmas season. Go ahead, Jerry. Great to have you with us. Thanks for for your time. Yeah, my pleasure, Jerry Storch, yep. Storch Advisors. Jerry just rattled off a bunch of uh, of stocks. Yeah. Tim, are you buying what what Jerry's buying? Well, first, I'm buying Jerry's view on the holiday season. Um, you know, a name that I think is really worth looking at is Mattel. This is a name I've liked for a long time. It's gone through a painful uh, transition process. One of the things Jerry talked about with regard to fixed costs and rent, and a lot of these folks, um, not in the case of Mattel, but now have restructured a lot of those lease deals. In the case of Mattel, they went from being sold in stores like Toys R Us now to having DTC access. These guys have restructured their business. They have brands that are growing. They're going to grow probably mid-single digits. And I think the toy companies, for example, despite some of these shipping issues, are, are, are well positioned for a very strong holiday season. All right. Uh, we've got a news alert on Virgin Galactic. Christina Partsnevelis got the details. Christina. FAA has announced that they are closing the mishap in investigation into Virgin Galactic over a mishap that happened on July 11th. Their spaceship, specifically the name Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2, 
veered off path. You're not supposed to veer off path because if you do, you could potentially hit a commercial airplane. And so the FAA uh, suspended Virgin Galactic flights. This was a test flight. Now the FAA is lifting that. Why? Because they've mended things Virgin Galactic has said that, yes, we will do a better job at communicating with you going forward. In the statement, the uh, Virgin Galactic said that they made the required changes and can return to flight operations, hence the reason why you're seeing the stock up over 10 percent in after-hours trading. So, again, the FAA closed the mishap investigation into Virgin Galactic. All right. Christina, thanks. Christina Portsnevelis. Grass, are you still in this one? I am still in this one. And if you look at the chart... This one was flirting with 60 around the uh, June timeframe, end of June. This is a headline-driven stock, as we just saw. It has a lot stacked against it. I don't think management does anywhere near the communication they should with shareholders, but this is definitely a tailwind for them. I'm still in the name. Up 11%. By the way, the short interest is about 14%. Coming up, we've got a trader triple play. Three big stock calls that caught our attention. We'll bring you the trades. Plus, rolling over. One top technician sees more trouble in the charts for big tech. How you can take cover. Don't go anywhere. We're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a trader triple play. We are tackling three big stock calls from today. Let's kick things off with Boeing. Bernstein upgrading the stock to a buy, saying that global travel is reaching an inflection point. Shares rallying more than 3% today. Tim, what do you say? I like it. Uh, I also like that Air Force contract of $23 billion that's phased. It's probably worth only $3 billion over the next couple of years. But the sense that people at some point have to come back in and, and this order book is out there. I think, you know, Boeing has struggled. It's at the top of the trading range. Actually, you break above 235 and the stock chart looks very interesting. Guy, what do you, what do you think of the move in Boeing? 279. I, now, look, I mean, 279 is a price target. Tim is correct to point out it's been in a pretty defined range now for a while. I mean, I like the upgrade because... They're taking a shot here. Effectively, they're saying all the self-inflicted wounds of Boeing are probably behind them. And there is some there is some tailwinds now and there's some blue sky. So I like the call. I don't know if we're going to get that 279 level, but through 235, I think it has some room on the upside. All right. Let's uh, get to Morgan Stanley. You're catching a downgrade from Oppenheimer, the firm saying this is purely a valuation call. It only sees 7 percent more near term upside in Morgan Stanley. Um, Karen, this is uh, one of your favorites. What do you make of Morgan Stanley here? Yes. 
So I like Morgan Stanley here. If you read the report, it actually this was at 105. So their target is 112, which is, I guess, 13 bucks above where the stock is now. I mean, to me, I look at it, you know, one of the things they're talking about is that it's been so good for the investment banking capital markets business. And that is true. That part of the business, though, gets a lower P.E. multiple. The other parts of the business, which are now very significant, which are, you know, remember, they did the acquisition last year of uh, E-Trade and their asset management business. And those get a much higher multiple. If you look at an interactive broker, you look at a Schwab, those are in the 20s, those multiples. And yet Morgan Stanley is only at 13. So I really like it. I wouldn't be shocked if we do see a, a downturn from where we are in M&A. Certainly in SPACs, that's happened. But I think the asset management business is much steadier and it deserves an even higher valuation than it has now, which is about 13-ish P.E. If we think the retail trader, Karen, is, is not as enthusiastic about the markets, maybe not putting as much money into the markets, maybe not trading it as much, do we need to ratchet down the P.E. that is assigned to that part of the business? Well, I think that trader is a little bit different than the Robinhood trader. It's a, it's a much bigger account, and it's a different type of trader. So I think that it's more muted. So it doesn't, it's not going to get anywhere close to a Robinhood kind of multiple, which is, what, infinite, I guess. I don't know. But um, it's, it, I think it's, that's conservative to have a more recurring revenue stream multiple and also to think that, all right, that revenue could go down a little. If the market goes down, I expect that to happen. But bundling it all together, I think that this multiple is good for this business, which deserves a premium. All right. Last but not least here, Bank of America getting bullish on Freeport McMoran, reinstating coverage with a buy rating, $39 price target. That's about 18 percent higher from current levels. Um, so runway to 39, Grasso, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is at the epicenter for all inflation worries and woes and everything China related. So. I would think that this still has a, a quarter or so of, uh, of the transitory word as a tailwind to this name. So if you still believe that all those pieces are still in play and most of the market does, I do as well, this one could probably ride higher as well. Guy? I like it. I mean, obviously, there's an energy component here that was a drag, probably now providing a bit of a tailwind. These stocks are extraordinarily volatile. I mean, just look at the moves in the U.S. steel over the last couple of weeks. It's extraordinary how quickly they go down. But this is the right time to be upgrading a name like this. So I do like the call. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. We're getting technical on tech. Rob Slimmer is here to chart out where the group could be headed next. Plus, Netflix says game on. The streaming giant leveling up and making a big bet on gaming. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Some trouble in tech land. The S&P and Dow able to hold on to gains after yesterday's sell-off, but the tech-heavy Nasdaq couldn't quite cut it. And our next guest says the rollover is just beginning. Let's bring, bring in Rob Slimer of RBC Wealth Management to chart it out. Hey, Rob, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Well, let's start with the 10-year because that's really what's driving everything here, at least from a tactical standpoint. I think the key point is when we look at these swings that we're seeing in equity and fixed income markets, from my perspective, they're still moving in very uh, normal one to two quarter shifts. That's not unusual to see a market move from a fairly overbought level like we saw with the 10-year bond yield at the beginning of the first quarter to relatively oversold coming into the summer months and bottoming. So the move by the 10-year above that 138 level certainly uh, caused some gyrations in other risk assets, notably technology. But in the very short term here, I think at this 153, 155 level, rates are probably going to pause. That's roughly a 62% retracement uh, of the move that we, or the decline that we had through the second and third quarters. So I think rates pause here. I think some of the stress that we've seen on technology probably is alleviated in the short term. But the key point here, when we look at these longer term charts, look, tech outperformed for a couple of quarters, had a tremendous surge in the second and third quarter, and is starting to pause here. So I want to be very clear. We're not alarmed about what's happening in technology. It just needs a rest. And if you contrast that, say, for example, looking at the XLK or the uh, IGV, the software ETF, all of these have had very big runs. They've led the market, and now they're going through a bit of a rest period. It's not unusual to see that for a couple of months, a couple of quarters even. And then when we contrast that, if you think about what the cyclicals have done, they peaked with the 10-year bond yield in the first quarter, went sideways to down for, you know, call it uh, two quarters, and many of them have caught up to their 200-day moving average. The, the banks are a very good example of that. Sure, they're a little bit overbought in the short term. There's probably some chop and some volatility here. But it looks to me that a lot of these cyclicals that have been correcting for the last two quarters are now set to move higher. So I think the leadership in the fourth quarter is likely in the cyclicals. That doesn't necessarily mean that tech rolls over and dies. I don't think this is a long-term call. But I think it underperforms and is really just into a pause mode here. So if the rollover in tech, Rob, is not a long-term call and it's just simply resting and presumably going to wake up, does that mean that this is a short-term call on cyclicals and specifically banks? Well, I guess it depends on the time frame we're talking about. But I think of, uh, think of this as more of an intermediate-term time frame, one to two quarters in duration. So uh, I think from a trading standpoint, there's still substantial upside in a lot of the cyclical names, whether that's you know, airlines or banks or the reopening trade. Whereas I think tech, which led as, as rates and the, the growth scare was in place, that's probably more of a pause. Think back to last year coming into September, how many people were calling for a major peak in technology. It just looked like another tactical peak or a pause in tech uh, going into the fourth quarter. I think we're looking at something similar this year as well. Rob, good to see you. Thanks for the charts. Rob Slimer. Thank you. Um, Guy, were you surprised at the lack of bounce in tech today? Not, no, not surprised. I mean, 10-year, listen, the 10-year hung in there. At one point today, I think it was a back up at that 155 level. So, it's, again, we talked about did it make sense? Yeah, it sort of made sense. If you do think that rates are going to stall here, look at some of these names, some of the sell-offs. I mean, AMD has had a 20% sell-off in about actually less than a month. NVIDIA, 10% sell-off. So some of these names are getting attractive again, especially if you think yields are topping out. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. I still think yields have some room on the upside. So... I still think there's some downside pressure on some of these high valuation tech names. 
Karen, did you buy Facebook today? I did not buy Facebook today, but I was, you know, I, I think of tech as not just a monolith, sort of the high flyers and the and what I think of as the value names. So I'm still, you know, long Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, all of the, oh, not Netflix, um, but and short the IGV. And I think that will continue to work with rates here or higher. Yeah. I mean, high valuation stocks would be threatened. And then you had Warby Parker's debut, Tim, which did quite nicely at not a low valuation. <laughs> Look, there, there was a time when when uh, I thought wearing a pair of uh, frames with clear lenses looked cool, even if I didn't need the glasses. Uh, embarrassed to say, nah, I didn't really ever do that. Uh, but I, there's there's 19 <laughs> eyeglass stores within a five block radius in my neighborhood. I don't understand it, and and, and I think it's. Uh, this to me feels very, very frothy, especially when you get to a place where at some point I, I think you do have a consumer that is going to be running into some problems well into next year. So, look, I, I, I get that this is a hot place to be right now. Um, this is not one I'm chasing. All right. Coming up, it's game on for Netflix, a streaming giant making a big bet on gaming. We're diving into the details next. Plus, rolling the dice, option traders doubling down on a turnaround for one big name. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is game on for Netflix. Shares rallying today as the company makes a big push into gaming. We'll get to that in a second. But first, we're getting new numbers uh, on a big fan event Netflix held over the weekend. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, Netflix is now announcing that its fan event called Tadum on Saturday drew 25.7 million views across its YouTube channels, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and TikTok, and Tadum.com, with all of the clips and trailers generating 300 million views on social media. Now, this after Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos said Monday at the Code Conference that the streaming giant wants to invest even more in content and in games. And then last night, the company announced its first big game acquisition, buying developer Night School. It's known for narrative titles such as Oxenfree. It's a supernatural adventure game. And these games are available on Sony's PlayStation, Microsoft's Xbox, and Nintendo Switch, along with PCs. But Netflix also rolled out five mobile gaming titles in some European markets. Stiefel's saying that Netflix's expansion into gaming is a natural extension of its large original content, saying they, quote, view gaming as an incremental medium for Netflix to differentiate from its competition and to add value to its subscriber base. I also spoke to Warner Media CEO Jason Kyler at the Code Conference. He told me that gaming would also be a big part of their future, and he didn't rule out including games in HBO Max. Melissa? It's just interesting, Julia, because I think it was maybe a year ago on a conference called Netflix. Uh, Reed Hastings had said something to the effect of um, it's a competition for eyeballs. We don't think about competitions as other streamers per se, but anything that takes you away, including gaming, um, and now they're they're going more heavily into this. Yes, I remember he also said that their main competition was sleep. So I think the <laughs> idea is that not only are they competing with with gaming, but also that they want to make sure that their subscription offer has so much value that even if you've watched the latest season of Stranger Things, then maybe if that's really what your passion is for, you could stick around, play the Stranger Things game. So it's all about adding value to that subscriber, for that subscriber base. I wonder what a Bridgerton game would be. Uh, Julia, we might soon find out. Thank you, Julia Borston. Um, Guy Dami, you like this sort of extension into gaming? 
Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that last comment out. I'll probably best that I don't comment on that. You know, a lot of people would say style drift and they're getting away from their core competency. I say horse hockey to that. Reed Hastings is a genius, and they're getting into things that they should be getting into. This stock traded sideways from last July until recently. This move above 600 is a breakout. So this is as important a quarter they're going to report just given where the stock is, I think, on October 14th. And I absolutely think they're on the right track and you stay with the name and their earnings. If I'm a Netflix bear, I think not only are they going to spend so much money on content, but they're spending even more on content through games. Doesn't this just sort of stress them even further when it comes to their capital needs, Grasso? No, they had to do this. This is something where, as you, you said, that's where my mind went when we heard it originally uh, from them that they had to get into gaming. Also, Julia said that they're rolling out some test markets in Europe. In a normalized world, that's a $7.8 billion revenue area. So I think this could lead them to better roads to catch what they do in North America. But they had to do this. Why, why doesn't GameStop stop, have a streaming service? This is also where it went. This is where GameStop is blockbuster. They have the potential. They have an agreement with Twitch. I know they have a JV there, but this is where they should be going. This was a, an absolute home run. This is like Apple Arcade for Apple. Netflix had to do this. This is just another way of them creating some momentum behind the name and the hours viewed. It's interesting to think about this landscape. I mean, Julia was talking about Warner Media also looking into games. If all of these streamers are also then going into games, Tim, what does it tell you about the viability of streaming itself? Well, look, I, I think, you know, the, the death of linear TV, the, the streaming competition, the engagement factor that gaming brings to anybody, I, I think this is, I'm in agreement with all the bulls here. I, and, and I haven't been a Netflix bull. I, I think you've got a case here where uh, adding this as no additional cost to a platform, and, and yes, uh, there will be some cost to creating their own content, but again, they, they highlighted, they, they focused on uh, night school's artistic excellence and that they will be, they are their first gamer. And it was one thing to, for Reed Hastings to talk about gaming uh, a month or two ago and the market gave it a little bit of a boost. But this is enough along with the recent breakout above 560 as we've talked about on the charts. I think Netflix is going higher and I think it should go higher. I know you just said, Karen, that you didn't like the N and Fang. Could you like Netflix <laughs> seeing their moves here? Well, what, the, I like what the broader sort of vision is? Yes. I mean, ever since they switched from being a mail the discs, you know, to people and get them back to content, which I was amazed really worked, you know, I could never count them out. This seems very smart. It seems very logical. It makes sense to me as an extension. Um, I think that surprising to me that who makes this content, the Take Twos, the Electronic Arts of the World, why? I'm surprised none of them have been acquired. So because if this hunt for content to have for gaming. I, uh, that is where I think people would go, but those are expensive. And then just one other point. There is, I think, a Bridgerton game, but I think it's a different channel, and I think it's a pay-per-view. And a I guess. think it's, it's I not for, for our audience. Um, coming up, Ooh. good to know, though. <laughs> coming up, a major reversal from social capitals, Chamath Palihapitiya. The venture capitalist just wrapping up, speaking at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference, we will tell you what stock he has completely sold out of. Plus, an options trader is betting big on one casino stock. We've got the details when Fast Money returns. You still have a sizable stock position in Tesla? No. 
You sold it? Yeah. When? Uh, over the last few years, we've sort of, you know, not last few years, like really in the last year or so particularly, you know, the prices allowed me to, again... I'm surprised to hear you say that after what you just said about the company. Well, I, I don't have an infinite pool of capital. You know, I'm myself. I don't raise funds. I can't go to other people. Um, and so when I have these ideas, the money has to come from someplace. That was Social Capital CEO Chamath Palihapitiya speaking at CNBC's Delivering Alpha Summit just moments ago. You can watch the full interview in all the great Delivering Alpha content right now on demand. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com for all the details. Now, getting back to that soundbite and, and him selling out of Tesla, you may remember that just in January, Palihapitiya was singing a very different tune. He told the Halftime Report that big disruption is coming. It's coming to the power utilities. There are trillions of dollars of bonds of CapEx of value sitting inside the energy generation infrastructure of the world. This is his quote. That is going to go upside down. And when that goes pear-shaped, Tesla will double and triple again. And just to remind you, today he told Scott that he sold out of Tesla. Um, Guy, what do you make of this? I mean, we get that he's got a lot of ideas, clearly. People have limited amounts of money. But if you think something's going to be a double or triple, I don't know if that's the first thing you sell. Yeah, but, you know, with that said, I think it's a bit of a trading call, and, it, and it's a time frame thing. I think the world will go pear-shaped in terms of what he just said through that vertical, but it ain't going to happen tomorrow. So my sense is... You know, he's taking money off the table there, thinking he'll have a better entry point. And I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but just parsing through that, that's my thought. I'm sure his thesis remains the same. I think in the short term, he just found better places to be. Yeah. Grasso, what, what, did, what was your interpretation? Well, yeah, I totally agree. I, I hear what Guy's saying. But the idea is the same way that we're on this show. If you change your stance on something... You have to let that be known before you actually change your stance in the marketplace. Now, I don't know what he's required to do or not do, but I know that it doesn't feel great. Uh, you know, that, that can't pass his pillow test or his mirror test if he says that something's going to double or triple and then he's selling it. That's number one. But with Tesla, I agree with his first premise. That, that stock is, depends on how you look at it, but it checks a lot of boxes. And immediately when I think of energy storage and things going uh, put on their head, I think of STEM, S-T-E-M, just to make it a tradable event and not just a ruling on Shamath. But yes, I, I think that uh, what he did is definitely in the gray area and, and it shouldn't have been. Um, Karen, you're an investor in one of Chamath's um, SPACs, correct? Correct. And you're right. banking basically on him being involved in it as, as the reason why you chose that one? Well, I, was, I bought it at less than 10. So it mm -hmm. felt like, all right, the worst case scenario, I get out at 10. And then I have a look at whatever deal he announces. He, you know, he will, I think he will find one before the clock runs out. So it's sort of a, it, was, it was a paid to look at that. But one just, just one thing about that Tesla that I just want to mm -hmm. add. So if it's just him... And he doesn't have an infinite amount of money. He's saying then selling Tesla means he found something much better than that. A better than a double or a triple. Much better than, yeah. <laughs> I want to know what that is. Good. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, good for me. I mean. it's, it's either really unbelievable. <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's unbelievable if he found something better than a double or a triple. And I mean that in every sense of that word. <laughs> All right, coming up. A jackpot trade, options traders rolling the dice on one casino name. The details when Fast Money returns.
Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of a firm. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Well, from payments to poker, one option traders gambling on a big breakout for one casino stock. Tony Zhang joins us now to break down this big bet. Tony. Yeah, Melissa, um, we saw a sizable bet here today on the rebound here for Macau Gaming Stocks through Melco Resorts. Uh, today was a fairly average day, about 6,000 contracts traded, but calls outstripped puts almost four to one. And a single trade accounted for more than 40% of today's total volume. A single trader bought 2,382 contracts of the January 2022 $12 call options for about 85 cents. Now, these call options are about 21% out of the money, so that seems pretty far away. But Melco's a pretty volatile stock, so based on today's implied volatility of Melco, the current options market is implying there's about a 38% chance that Melco could be above that $12 strike price by expiration. So this is a fairly leveraged bet on the rebound here for Macau Gaming, while only risking about 8.5% of the stock's value through a simple call option. Tony, thanks. Good to see you, Tony Zhang. When I hear Melco, I think Tim Seymour. What do you think of Melco? <laughs> I love options action. Love the options strategy around Macau and, and gaming in, in China at this point. I, I think it's a, a, absolutely massive upside. Uh, I don't think there will be license renewal issues. I think there might be a tougher road for new players um, and certainly not local players. And, and I think this is a case where I think there's major, major upside. I think you're now starting to see the street follow through with upgrades. So where they were once, I think J.P. Morgan said, hey, we, we used to be 15 to 16 times EBITDA. Um, we can't do that in this environment. Let's cut it down to seven to eight times. OK, um, but look, I, I think there's plenty of risk out there. Um, but I think for investors that are willing to play and, and manage their risk via options, fantastic. I have a Vegas Sands position out through January in the options market as well. Uh, same view, uh, and I do think you're going to see a recovery, but I think you might need a little bit of time, and it might not be enough time, and you're paying for the time value of that option. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Around the horn we go. Tim. Big upgrade on Boeing. I'm upgrading it too. Bye. Steve. Consumer is flush with cash going into Christmas. What do you want? Containers and packaging. West Rock, WRK. I want Karen's leather jacket. Karen. <laughs> yes, consumer's flush going into Christmas. I think Target can handle it all. E-commerce, bricks, mortar, whatever. All of it. Guy. I'm going to McDonald's and I'm Googling Bridgetown. (laughs) Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.